Hi, and welcome to the Airline Weekly Lounge Podcast. I'm your host, Nadine Christian, joined again by Ned Russell as we discuss the botched 5G mobile telephony rollout in the U.S., the looming pilot shortage, and whether it's actually here, and our our best take on U.S. airline earnings. Thank you for joining, and we hope you enjoyed the podcast. Hey there, Ned. How are you? Hey, Madhu. I'm good. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. I know I've learned more about 5G than I ever thought I would. <laughs> well, that's a good segue into today's first topic. I mean, tell us about 5G besides faster download speeds on my phone. Uh, what what is the what is the whole uh, kerfuffle? Okay, we all know what 5G is, or we should. It's it's faster mobile internet connect connectivity, and um, you know it's it's existed around the world. And some some telecoms providers provide it now. If you if you have um, you know, if you turn on your phone, it says 5G, you're you're getting it. But uh, the issue is, of course, as we know, one with airlines, because that's what we talk about in the Airline Weekly Lounge. Um, the rollout was supposed to happen today. We're recording this on Wednesday, January 19th. So after- the rollout was supposed to happen well, in December, but it's de- been delayed. De- yes, delayed to January 5th, and then delayed again to, uh, um, delayed January 5th for two weeks. And then on January 18th, yesterday, in this very dramatic fashion, um, the t- AT&T Wireless and Verizon Communications agreed to delay the rollout again for an unspecified amount of time. So well, even though they've delayed it, though, the um, the uproar over the potential impact on radio altimeters has uh, forced some uh, significant uh, cancellations. Uh, Emirates, JAL, ANA, Air India all canceled some, preemptively canceled some flights to the U.S. on Boeing 777 aircraft for fear that radio altimeters could be um, neg- adversely impacted by 5G technology. You know, because of the temporary delay, some of those flights have, have come back, but they were canceled for a day or two. So it's, uh, it's, it's crazy how this has blown up. Yeah, it really did blow up. And it, you know, it's been, for those of us who watch the industry, it's been a sort of a slow boil or slow burn for for more than a year. And, and, and as we've discussed in a recent podcast, the unions, especially the pilots unions, have been raising this issue periodically for the last year that this is coming and this could be a problem and we need to know more. So it's not new. It just, I'm still, I mean... You know, Ned, you and I have talked. I covered Congress for a while when I lived in D.C. and the uh, federal agencies. And I still am kind of agog here that the FCC, the Federal Communications Commission and the FAA are engaged in this very public spat. It never really happens. Um, and- oh, absolutely. And it's just a lot of point finger pointing right now. Like you said, the, the we've had more than a year, um, actually more than a year, but more than a year of time to prepare. And it's just like, why hasn't this happened? But it's finger pointing right now. It's not clear where, where the breakdown occurred. No, it isn't. I mean, if you listen to Verizon, AT&T and the FCC, they say FA sat around and twiddled its thumbs for a year and didn't really release guidance until November and then put out its NOTAMs just what, January, um, I think it was the 14th or 15th. Um, right. On, on 1,500 NOTAMs last week with the 14th um, about specific approaches and landings that would be affected by, by potential interference from 5G networks. 
So, yeah, I mean, on surface, it sounds like F.A. might have sat on its... uh, I just mixed that metaphor. F.A. might have been not doing its job. But there's also an emerging thread that um, the FCC and the wireless companies did not provide enough enough data to... um, to the FA to determine where the the interference would be or how much energy the transmitters would be sending out near airports. So it's all very confusing and I'm trying to like pick it apart, but it, it really depends whom you ask, right, Ned? I mean, it's like, if you ask- Absolutely, <laughs> you know, and these are two massive industries that are key to the US economy, the telecoms communicator industry and the airline industry. We're all saying it's the other one's fault. So I, I, re, I, I envision the um, deep dives of what went wrong six months to a year from now after after everything comes out. But it's it's really difficult to get down to the root of, of exactly what happened at, at this point, at least. Yeah, it is. And it really is like if you talk to Verizon and AT&T, I did yesterday and and they're, they're very stern and very, very direct about how they don't understand why FA and the airlines couldn't figure this out. Whereas if you talk to the airlines, they say like, well, or the airport industry, they say, well, it's uh, we didn't get all the things we needed. So it's just so confusing. But, you know, to your point about this being two of the largest industries in the country, they're also two of the most reviled. Let's be honest. There are few things people like more than are there are few things most Americans loathe more than their their cable and wireless providers and AT&T and Verizon, for those of you who don't listen, do also provide internet connectivity in the homes, um, landline telephones, and the cable television. Um, people still have landline telephones, Madhu? What? I, I know. Some people do. Some people do. I actually do because not that I signed up for it. I don't even know where what my number is or like where I don't have an actual phone, but but it came as some kind of bundled thing that it's just cheap. Anyway, that, that's no one needs to know all that. But but you know these these are two people love to complain about airlines. People love to complain about their cable companies. So it's kind of like a, a race to the bottom here is to see which of these reviled industries can can win the PR battle. Um, or not? I'm not going to say reviled. Which of these industries people love to hate is going to win the PR battle? I don't know. I don't know who it is. I actually don't because. Um, I mean, it's hard. It's hard to say, right? Absolutely. Now, now for those of you wondering what, you know, the potential risk of this 5G is, uh, 5G technology is to aircraft is, um, John Ostrower used an example in a story he published the other day on the air current about a uh, a small regional jet's altimeter going to zero on approach into West Palm Beach um, several times in the past few weeks. And West Palm Beach is one of those markets that I believe 5G has been turned on in. So uh, to, to back up, uh, the Verizon AT&T only delayed in select markets, and those tend to be the large major metros, New York. I, I don't know the exact list, but New York, L.A. kind of places. So, you know, there's a very real risk that, and this, this affects flights in adverse weather when they have to be using instrument, it's instrument landing approaches. If your altimeter goes to zero during an instrument landing, that is extremely dangerous because you have the potential yes. to plane flying into the ground. Right. And, <laughs> and as we mentioned earlier, I mean, there were 1,500 NOTAMs on, on, specific on specific approaches and specific weather conditions, weather conditions that, that where there would where be there interference, would be interference that could be prohibited. Now, FAA said it cleared, it cleared about 45 percent of those over the weekend. Um, so we're still talking about 750 specific approaches. That and clearly the 750 that are still remaining affect some major airports yes. because yes. A&A, Emirates, JAL are canceling flights to places like 
San Francisco and, and Newark. So it's a, uh, it's, it's still a big problem at some big airports. Absolutely. It's really, it really is. And, um, no one, you no one's figured it out. Now, I mean, the wireless industry says points to the fact that 5G using this technology, similar technologies has been deployed in more than 40 countries. Um, and therefore it should not be a problem here, but, and this is where I, I don't know if someone can explain this to me a little bit better. You can reach me at mu at skiff.com. You can reach Ned at er at skiff.com. There, there seems to be an issue with the power of the transmitters near some runways. And that is what's interfering with the radio altimeters. Um, so I'm. Is it a case of we're America, it's bigger, it's better kind of thing? Or. or <laughs> Maybe. And I think, I believe in France and in um, Australia, there are lower power transmitters, 5G transmitters near runways. And that regulation, FCC did not mandate that regulation in the US. Like that appears to be some of the issue that I'm trying to tease out from um, the airline industry is like the data that wasn't, that was somehow missing. Um, before FAA made its determination, so it's very, very. Um, it's now, all. Were these, was this F, were these FCC contracts awarded? Now I, I don't want to get political here, but under the previous administration, which was notoriously uh, about fewer regulations and less, uh, you know, government interference, was it awarded then? Or the, the spectrum auctions tend not to be political like that. It's just a straight up auction um, for for this particular frequency. Um, and um, so I don't I don't think that's the issue. I think it's just, uh, you know, somehow the right hand didn't know what the left hand was doing. <laughs> um, but <laughs> yeah, but like I said, I mean, you've got you've got uh, some very sophisticated messaging machines that are going to go at it for the next few weeks. I think, you know, you've got the. And let's not forget, regional aircraft uh, yes. are also yes. affected by this. And um, despite the the select rollout, uh, there I remember the FAA put out a list of aircraft that are certified to fly into airports with 5G, and regional aircraft were largely absent from that list. So we still have that big question. And I know Faye Malarkey Black at uh, the Regional Airline Association in the U.S., has been talking about how they're not part of the discussions at this point. So, you know, that's a potential uh, concern that could be coming up after they get these initial issues out of the way. Uh, absolutely. And, and you know, uh, just what then, then, I mean, like, it's not, <laughs> let me back up. I mean, it's a, it's a lot of airports, right? I mean, just last week, um, FAA said there are 50 airports where this could be a problem. 50, and they, these were the largest markets in the country. Um, now when you factor in cargo airports as well, that's 90 of the largest airports in the country. And then, as you said, with regional aircraft, not really being part of the discussion, where, where does that, uh, how, how does this get resolved? I just don't, I don't think anyone knows when this gets resolved. Now, as we've mentioned in a previous con podcast, I mean, the wireless companies have invested billions of dollars in in this equipment and in training staff. And this is something consumers really love. They love fast mobile internet. And they've been expecting it, not just the tech savvy sorts, but everyone's been expecting it. They've been told for a year they're going to get faster Speak mobile for internet. I didn't even know 5G was coming until this whole thing happened. Really? So. Oh, yeah. No, no. I've been, I've been excited for it. You know, I'm jealous of my friends who live abroad who have, fat, who have 5G. And, um, and now, so now... 
you know, there's going to be a blame game. The, the mobile companies are going to say it's the airline's fault. And then, you know, no one wants delayed flights either. So you, as we said in the issue this week, it's very, right now you could either have <laughs> the way it seems to be playing out. You could have really fast mobile internet and a snarled air transport system or slower mobile internet and a functioning air transport system. But it's unlikely you're going to have both <laughs> at least for exactly. a while. <laughs> exactly. All right. Now let's squeeze in a quick break here. And we're back. It's Maduni Christian joined by Ned Russell. Hey, Ned. Um, so we talked about 5G, but we talked, uh, you know, we mentioned the regional um, carriers in that, in that discussion. And that's something you've been following pretty closely and is the pilot shortage is looming for regionals. That's right. So, you know, this is something that's been talked about in the airline industry in the U.S. for years of a coming pilot shortage. You know, I've been going to regional airline association meetings for five, six years, and it's always been a topic of discussion. Well, what happened during the pandemic is is in, we saw airlines, you know, reduce staff numbers through voluntary uh, outs and uh, early retirements, which have then created all these openings for need for pilots as travelers have come flooding back. I mean, think United's planning to fly more than 100% of their 2019 schedule this year, for example. Uh, so what has happened is we have this shortfall of pilots at regionals because the major carriers go to regionals to, to hire for their, for their crews. And we're really starting to see this turn into actual schedule cuts. You know, Delta Airlines last week after we recorded said they've cut their first half regional flying by up to a quarter because of uh, staffing uh, issues at their regional affiliates. You know, American Airlines and schedule updates this past weekend pulled uh, at least seven routes from their schedule, uh, regional routes, as they just to, to mitigate any potential impact uh, this spring. And of course, United last year has already canceled uh, dozens of routes and, and even eight or nine destinations because of this. So the, the, it's really a, a fight over the regional supply. Now, you talked to, I mentioned uh, Fame Larky Black at RAA. You know, she describes this as a pilot shortage, and she's very right. There are, uh, you know, the airline industry plans to hire 8,000 new pilots in the U.S. in, no, sorry, the eight largest U.S. airlines plan to hire 8,000 new pilots in 2022. But the FAA awarded airline transport pilot certificates, which is the license to fly a commercial jet or aircraft, only 4,300 in 2021. So, so what, where are those other 3,700 pilots coming from? The regionals, right? Exactly. They're coming from the regionals. And so that's 3,700. That's a shortfall of roughly 3,700 pilots that, you know, yes, some of those can be hired from abroad. Uh, you know, there are other sources. There's people that probably weren't working that could be hired by airlines. But still, you know, this shortage is real and it's going on right now and it's expected to get worse. So what what does that mean? I mean, what did Faye say about uh, about this what it means for the regional carriers. I mean, if Delta, well, that's question A, Ned, and question B is, um, I mean, regionals account for a significant part of of, of the mainline's lift. Absolutely. So, the so. the stat that REA touts is they serve they operate I think sixty five percent of flights in the U S. Right. Even though they're you know smaller share of passengers, they operate the lion's share of flights. And that's a lot of spokes that are connected to hubs, <laughs> right? Absolutely. And we haven't seen any cities lose service entirely, but I was speaking with uh, Kevin Healy of Campbell Hill Aviation last week, and he cited uh, Toledo, Ohio as an example of a city that they're really worried about. 
you know, Toledo is served by American Airlines to Chicago and Allegiant Air to a couple points in Florida. Now, the thing is, is, you know, Allegiant can keep flying. You know, they've got pilots. We're not worried about them right now. But if American pulls their service to Chicago, you know, Toledo loses a network carrier. And, you know, on a headline level, a leisure traveler who wants to go to Disney World is going to be able to fly out of Toledo. But someone working at uh, the Jeep plant in Toledo that needs to fly to a meeting with Toyota in Nagoya is no longer going to be able to fly out of Toledo. Um, you know, Toledo is lucky. The Detroit airport's only about an hour away, so they can right. drive there. But still, this is an airport that's had, you know, regular air service for decades that could potentially lose it. So, you know, that's really what the, you know, smaller communities are facing is is losing some of these, the, either losing these connections altogether or going down to maybe one mainline carrier serving their market. Yeah. Or, or a lot less frequency. A, exactly. A lot less frequency. You have four flights a day, you might have two. So that's a lot of, as we said earlier, a lot of spokes that won't be as connected to their hubs as they were. Now, am I the only one who thinks of Klinger from MASH when I hear Toledo? I have no idea of that reference, Madhu. So. <laughs> he was from Toledo. Big Mud Hens fan. Um, I don't know what that is either. So <laughs> keep digging your hole, Madhu. <laughs> it's a classic TV show, Ned, MASH. Anyway, I don't know it's set in the Korean War. There was a camp. I, they flew Hueys. I remember that much. They did. But they basically, did. the intro. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so that's what the U.S. airlines are dealing with right now. And the CEOs of American Delta and United have all acknowledged this. You know, they're invest. They're providing incentives to bring pilots into their regional carriers, flow through to the main lines. You know, they're investing in pilot training programs. But you know, I've been doing some reading, and it can take up to five years. Well, that yeah, that's what I was going to say. That's all well and good to do that. You know, United has Aviate. There's uh, JetBlue has programs, but like, but it you don't create a pilot after two weeks of training. I mean, this takes you what fifteen hundred hours at least of flight time plus all the classroom instruction. I mean, this is not something that happens instantly. So what what do you what do you think will happen in the near term? I mean, if they've got these plans, in other words, let me rephrase that. If they've got these plans for the long term to create a pipeline, what does it mean in the near term for the next like three um, year to five years? I mean, the risk is is what we just talked about. Communities like Toledo and other small communities losing air service uh, on major network carriers. For the foreseeable future, United, uh, the places United has pulled out of, they've told them that they hope to come back in 2023 uh, at the earliest. So, you know, United's not expecting this to get better immediately overnight. It's it's clear that uh, there's going to be some some longstanding service cuts. And the longer a community is without air service, the less likely it is to come back, frankly. Yeah. So, Sorry, Klinger. So, that, I mean, that's the, that's the real risk out there. Um, we shall see. You know, a lot of these places probably maintained air service during the pandemic because of CARES Act rules saying airlines right. had to maintain flights. But, you know, they're, you know, 2022 could be the year that we see, uh, you know, a lot of smaller cities lose flights as we did after the 2008-2009 recession. So. Yeah, well, I mean, the CARES Act mandated that they still have service, but not the amount of service. So many of these communities have already lost schedule depth. And are now at risk of uh, losing service altogether. So that's that's uh, that we'll just, we'll we'll be watching it. So now let's let's move on now to um, earnings. I mean, they uh, were just it just started last week with Delta. Tomorrow we've got uh, on the on January twentieth we've got United and American, and next week is chock full of U.S. carriers and the Europeans start to report. Um, if Delta is a bellwether. 
2021 did not end the way anyone predicted. No, you know, Delta uh, posted an adjust a small adjusted net profit of about I want to say 200 million, but that's including the benefit of those CARES Act funds they received. So you take out that they lost. Again, it wasn't a terrible loss. But I want to say it was 400 million uh, loss. So you that's know right. that it, it it wasn't as what good as they would hope, but it definitely improving. You know, the outlook is the first quarter will probably, uh, Delta's predicting losses in the first quarter, mostly due to Omicron. Uh, they were optimistic, and their CEO, Ed Bastian, said they see Omicron uh, fading in the next few weeks. And they said they are not seeing any impact on bookings beyond the President's Day holiday, which is in mid-February. So we're going to see if that's a, a broader trend with American and United going uh, tomorrow, Thursday. And, you know, they have another week of data on Delta. So I think if they say the same thing, then we can probably be confident that demand is going to start uh, coming back after President's Day. But it's uh, it's it looks like 2022 is off to a rough start, but everyone's still bidding hard on, on summer. Delta maintained yeah. all of their full year guidance that they outlined in December. So, you know, they're not backing down on anything, uh, anything, anything beyond. The well, first. they're hoping Omicron hues to that pandemic trend we've seen and we've talked about and when there's a new variant or a new outbreak, booking slump for a few weeks and then pick up a month out. Um, and that's what appears to be happening, at least for Delta, with um, after President's Day. So, the, you know, about a month after the worst of Omicron in the Northeast, it's uh, bookings are looking pretty good. And as, as, as summer, though, is aspirational, right, for every airline, it's not... I mean, everyone's betting on a good summer at this yes. point. The transatlantic is supposed to be robust. Domestic is supposed to be robust. Europe's going to be robust. Australia is going to be, well, it's Australian winter, but I should take that back. You know, everywhere is betting on a strong market. You know, I've been looking at the uh, European route editions for the summer, and of course they haven't reported yet, but everyone's going bangbusters on adding new flights, especially to leisure points this summer. Yeah. And the trans, we should be, we should also, you know, kind of caveat that with the, this is across the Atlantic and we're talking international travel, mainly across, when we say international travel, mainly across the Atlantic and to Latin America. I mean, Asia, Asia remains Asia. mostly closed off. Yes. Delta's outlook was that maybe we see Asian markets start to reopen this summer. Um, of course, China is still closed, uh, expected to remain mostly closed until 2023 was the latest I read. So, yeah, exactly. you know. It's, right. And that, that's what I've heard. I mean, we've heard from other people as well about uh, now. I mean, Asia, most likely the recovery in air trans travel there will be a 2023 story, if not a 2024 story. So, so it really uh, makes me wonder, what is the IATA AGM going to do this year? It's supposed to be in Shanghai in June. Shanghai. It's uh, in our IATA listeners. What are the plans? Right. <laughs> let <laughs> Please know. let us know. We got we got travel to book. Um but uh, yeah, so so I'll be we'll both be listening to United and American tomorrow, and um, I'm also interested in Southwest on um, uh, next next week because Southwest, as we know, is primarily a domestic U.S. carrier, and I want to see how the story is different between South a Southwest and a you know, a global network carrier like American Delta and United. So, right. Um, but Southwest is being hurt by the staffing issues as well. Not so much with pilots, but, you know, entry level. I was just reading a Texas monthly interview with uh, the new CEO, Bob Jordan, and he it, it he's still focused on the very same issues you mentioned at the Skift, uh, the Skift Global Forum in September. And that right. is hiring, hiring, hiring. That's the big limiter on 2022. Well, yeah, I mean, they're, they're the great... I forget exactly how many people quit their jobs in December across all industries, but the great 
it was several million. I mean, the great resignation is a thing. Now, when that reverses course and people start looking for, I mean, it's a tight labor market and airlines are not immune to that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, with that, Madhu, I think we're going to call it a call it a week. You know, we look forward to more on airline earnings next week. And anything, if you have any questions, you can email Madhu at mu at skiff.com or myself at er at skiff.com. Thanks again, Madhu. Look forward to talking next week. Thank you, Ned. And to our listeners out there, I especially want to hear from you if you if you're a fan of Mash. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Airline Weekly Lounge podcast. Should you have comments or questions, drop editor Madhu Unikrishnan a note at mu at skiff.com. Of course, check out airlineweekly.com for a new issue every Monday and updates on the latest airline news throughout the week. <laughs>